into the theology pit. Theology pit. You're falling in the theology pit. Welcome back to The Theology Pit. This is Theology Out of Pittsburgh and not like a bottomless pit because you know what we say, when you fall into a bottomless pit, you die of dehydration. I'm your friendly neighborhood uh, pastor, theologian, host of The Theology Pit, Samson Kovach, coming back at you with another episode of The Theology Pit. Now look, I'm going to start doing these things more often, graduated seminary, it's built into my schedule. Uh, We're going to be doing a a few different things. Today, we're going to be focusing on some apologetics things. We're going to look at the concept of theodicy, which is the problem of evil. And um, the reason why is because of we're going to look at some typical atheist questions and, um, and, and objections to the faith that are brought up. I also want to let you know I have another um, project going on with Michael Patton from Credo House Ministries, and it's called Divergent Theology. So you can look for the podcast, Divergent Theology, and also the video Divergent uh, on YouTube called Divergent Theology. As a bonus for the Theology Pit, um, you can now go to the Theology Pit's YouTube page and watch these videos. Um, as that you're hearing on the podcast and uh, the benefits that you're going to get from uh, watching these videos are going to be that uh, you're going to get to see the reaction videos Um, sometimes there will be videos on there that won't be made in the podcast there will just be um, just on on the YouTube page so you kind of got to check both to see what's going on but um, it will help you with visuals. It'll help you whenever I'm uh, referring to scripture. I'm going to put the scripture up on screen. We're going to do a lot of that stuff. But um, I was talking to my wife the other night, and we were trying to come up with ideas for the theology pit. And, um, you know, I'm going to try and if I can do some interviews, I'm going to try and do some interviews too. Um, you know, uh, I'm going to focus on denominationalism for a while. I figure I live in Western Pennsylvania and because of the steel mills uh, that were here in the Pittsburgh area, we have towns that were built around the steel mill and people came from all over the world and would settle here in this area. Because of that, we have uh, church denominations from just about every neck of the woods you can think of. Um, Presbyterian is probably the most popular, but um, whatever you can think of. If you want to think Byzantine Catholic, if you want to think Russian Orthodox, Ukrainian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, um, Irish Catholic, um, Italian Catholic, um, the Lutheran uh, churches here, um, ELCA, and Missouri Synod, um, the um, uh, NA. LC, I believe it is, the North American Lutheran Church, uh, is also here. Um, we have evangelical free churches. We have uh, fundamentalist Baptist churches. We have non-denominational churches. We have Methodist churches. Um, and I know a lot of pastors uh, from a lot of these churches, you know, big churches and small churches. And so I figure, why not do a series where, you know, we look at all of these uh you know, all these traditions. And I just call some of the pastors and sit them down and record and just kind of ask them, 
Tell me the the history of your church. Tell me, you know, um, your denomination. How are you different from others? What are some u- unique things? And just have a discussion about it. Um, so Pentecostal is going to be on there. I'm looking at my um, my notes here. We don't have Southern Baptists here because we're up in the north, but through Skype, I think I can get a hold of some Southern Baptists. Um, Anglican Episcopal uh, would be a good one. So. Um, Look forward to that in the future. Also, we're going to hit some social issues like, um, like you know, all the racism and things that are that are going on in the in the world right now. If, if it's still going on, I think that it will be by the time we get to it. We may look at African tribalism and talk about how that relates to the uh, the racist stuff that we see today. Also, uh, we're going to talk about uh, homosexuality in the church and outside of the church. We may do some Q and A, but. Um, Apologetics. My wife has been telling me you should really do apologetics because people have heard you speak and I've seen you speak with Jehovah Witnesses and with Mormons. And, you know, why don't you bring that experience to the theology pit? And I was like, you know, I, I, I could, but I've never felt that that was my calling and why not? And, you know, that's what I think. So I was like, yeah, why don't I do some, th- you know, some apologetics? And so I was like, well, you know, what kind of questions are people asking? So I just Googled what are the best um, atheist arguments and to see what comes up. And some of this stuff is, is what came up. Um, I'm going to get, oh, I'm going to get away with, or away from one of the, um, well, I don't know how else I can call it, but one of the, the more silly atheists, uh, and you'll see why in a moment. Uh, but for some reason, people give him a lot of credibility and, you know, he is a professor, he's a philosopher, and so really you think that you should know better. And his name is Dr. Daniel Dennett. I'm going to start off with him, and we're going to see why. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to kind of break apart his uh, little video here. It's, uh, it's about nine and a half minutes long. He's being interviewed and talking about... Um, you know, why atheism is superior to theism or to Christianity. And they're doing it in a church, ironically. And I'm, I'm, I think it might be an Episcopal church because I think I'm seeing some Book of Common Prayer somewhere, the way the uh, uh, the altar in the back looks like it's set up and everything. I, I, I kind of um, get this feeling that uh, that's where they decided to, to go for it, as you can see, um, you know, all the things in the background. So here's Dr. Daniel Dennett. And we're going to watch some of this and we'll talk about it here. And I would really like to know whether God exists. And I've been asking a lot of smart people questions uh, about God and about the arguments here and, and all that. Um, and most of the people who don't believe in God would seek to attack and, sh- and undermine the arguments of those who do. Fine. I'd like to flip that around mm-hmm. and say, what are the affirmative arguments for non-belief or for atheism? Well, I think the first... All right, we got to pay attention to the question. We're asking for the affirmative beliefs, the positives for atheism. It's very easy to negate something by just saying, well, I just don't believe that, or that's not true. You know, so this guy is saying, all right, what, what are, like, you're saying that this is wrong and that this isn't true, so give us something in its place. Otherwise, we kind of are by default going with our best um, guess, our best assumption. First one, it simply has to be 
this is the way naturalism always argues. I mean, the burden of proof is, is, is sort of on the other side. Uh, don't multiply entities beyond necessity. So uh, the main reason for atheism is what for? What do we, what do we, need, what do we need God for? Especially since we've got a, a surfeit of reasons for seeing why in the absence of a God, we would nevertheless believe in God. I mean, there's plenty of natural arguments explaining why this false belief would arise. So we don't have the puzzle of, gosh, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, where there's so much belief <laughs> that God must exist. No, I think we can just set that aside. So now the as question, neutral. As neutral. Yeah, so that, that, that cuts no real ice here. So now the question right. is, uh, if there's no positive argument for the existence of God, then we should just assume there isn't one for the same reason we should assume that there isn't um, a gog okay so there's no positive arguments for the existence of god all of the positive arguments that exist in the world for god's existive inductive and deductive reasoning arguments he just dismisses them says huh, they're neutral they're nothing he doesn't explain why. He just says, they're not worth believing. And then he says, why don't we believe in a gog? Here's how he answers that. Um, what's gog? Well, it's a, a sphere of copper two miles in diameter with the word gog stamped <laughs> on it. Um, okay. Now, this is why I say that Daniel Dennett is just silly. Okay, he's just a silly person. Um, because anybody, if you are credibly going to attack Christianity, at least have the common decency to read the Bible, to try and understand the theological arguments, to try and wrestle with them, to say, you know, there are some that are really, really good. I don't believe them, but this is, this is really hard to get around. All right? But just... Read the Bible, you know, or at the very least, just Google something before you sound like an idiot. Okay. What's a gog? That's what he asked. What's a gog? I don't know. It's uh maybe it's a stamp piece of copper. No, it's not. Gog is the name of a person in Ezekiel. Okay. As we can see right here, very clearly, Ezekiel 38. All right. Chapter 1, verse 2, you know, son of man turned towards Gog of the land of Magog. All right, he's he, he's a king. All right, people uh, uh, think that this may uh, refer, if you can see the note there in the Bible or in the, in the bottom of the app, that this may refer to the Lydian king in Western Asia Minor in the 7th century BC. Okay, so he... I mean, I don't know if it's intentional if he's just an, if he, he really is just an idiot because he came off and he said he uh, he just, he actually made up a word. He used it as a noun and said, well, what is that? Well, I don't know when the very thing that he's talking about is right there. He's not talking about Buddhism. If he was talking about Buddhism and said, oh, what's a gog? Well, Buddhists would be like, I don't know. But he's talking about Christianity. And at right here specifically, I mean, he's sitting in a Christian church and they're talking about theism. They're talking about God. So I'm assuming it's the Judeo-Christian God. 
Um, that's an assumption that I'm willing to make. He may come back and say, well, no, I was just talking about um, gods in general. Okay, well, the background, the backdrop, everything that you're doing, it gives me the impression that you're talking about Christianity and then you bring up the name of somebody who's actually in the Bible. All right, now, Daniel Dennett um, is not the best person to be understanding, you know, uh, uh, listening to as an atheist. I mean, if, if that, I know what you're saying, you're just like, well, you know, that maybe that made him sound like an idiot. Okay. But maybe he just didn't know. Maybe he just didn't know any better. All right. Fair enough. But he, he should know better. He really should. Now he wrote a book right here called Breaking the Spell. Okay. This is his book. All right. Religion as a natural phenomenon. Here it is. All right. He talks about religion and he talks about specifically like Judeo-Christian, but religion in general. All right. This is his book. It's about 400 pages long, if I remember correctly. I haven't read it in a while. Yeah, around 400 pages. Okay. I read this years ago. All right. And it even got my, you know, my stamp of approval there. If I can get it in the right camera. There we are. All right. Now, I want to read you a passage out of here. And I'm not even going to go that far. Okay. Not going that far at all. Turn just a couple pages. That's the table of contents. Right to the preface. First page. Right at the bottom of the page. It says, I simply do not know enough about other religions to write with any confidence about them. Perhaps I should have devoted several more years to study before writing this book. Hmm. 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 My focus on America is deliberate. Just to give you a little context here. When it comes to contemporary religion, on the other hand, my focus on Christianity first and Islam and Judaism next is in unintended but unavoidable because I simply do not know enough about other religions. He's never taken the time to study religions in general. So anything that he says can only be based on either Christianity, Islam, or Judaism. Now, Christians use in like their scriptures consist of the Old Testament, which is the Tanakh, the Jewish uh, scriptures, okay, and the New Testament. The Jews use the, the, the Tanakh, all right? And so they so it's the same. Ezekiel, where Gog is found, is in the Old Testament. On top of that, Islam makes reference to Gog. So right off the bat, the only three religions he says he's even vaguely aware of are the very three that actually have the name of Gog as someone in their writings. He truly is a disappointment as an atheist. And if people, let me be honest here, a lot of Christians don't like to have discussions with atheists because they think that, oh, well, no, atheists are just, they're so smart or they, they know so much more than I do or, you know, whatever. Some atheists might, but the majority of them are wrong. 
And you are a Christian. You have the truth on your side anyhow. The Theology Pit is a partner-funded ministry. Please consider partnering with us by making a donation at thetheologypit.com. Just scroll to the bottom of the page, hit the donate button, and make a contribution to the best Theology Pit podcast on the internet. Now let's get back to the show. And here's somebody, a professional philosopher, someone that writes books about religion, saying he's never, never studied them. And the ones that he does mention, he has no idea about. That is how silly Daniel Dennett is. Okay, I don't even know. I, I mean, we're only one minute and 39 seconds into this video. And I'm already at the place with it where I'm just like, do I even, do I even want to go here? Do, do we even want to finish watching this? I mean, it's like, it's like when you read that in the preface and you're like, What's the next 400 and some pages going to be like of someone that has no idea what they're talking about? And he still has no idea what he's talking about. That book was written in 2006. The um, upload date on this is 2016. So in, in 10 years, if that's when this was in fact recorded, um, in, in 10 years, he's still absolutely clueless. And it's outside the light cone. <laughs> so we can never see it. Yeah. <laughs> we have no reason to posit its existence. So we... Might just well assume it doesn't exist. So the the core yeah, concept yeah. is that the burden is on the other side. Sure. Yeah. That that somebody has to come up with an affirmative burden, a proof of God, in order for us to see it, because because that, that that is the best argument for atheism. Well, maybe if we want some further reinforcement on this, uh, if you understand that God is supposed to be good mm -hmm. and supposed to be all powerful, then the problem with evil really looms. And there you have it, the problem of evil, theodicy. Um, the way that it's it's shaped, this argument is shaped. If God is all good, why is there bad things? If you know, if if God is all powerful, why doesn't He stop these bad things? People like C.S. Lewis have handled these questions before. Mere Christianity, problem of pain, like they all. They all deal with it. There are many people, many, many, many people who have who have dealt with this subject. Um, some of them good, some of them like not so good. Um, they, this is somebody with such a lack of understanding of the the meta narrative of Christianity that to him, this is a slam dunk argument, and we're going to be going through this this argument in particular. But this is an argument that a lot of Christians have trouble answering. Even, even some apologists have a lot of trouble answering. Um, and, and, and you'll, you'll see some of the answers that are given here in, in a couple of these interviews. I'm not sure if it's in this one or if it's in the interview after that, that I have, um, prepared, but you'll see it. And they still leave you wanting. They still really don't answer the question from, uh, from a biblical perspective, but let's, let's continue to listen. Uh, and evil is everywhere, and it's not just uh, uh, evil so that we can be heroes and, and triumph over evil. That, that makes a good story, and it makes us, our lives more exciting and all that. But what about the extraordinary uh, brutality that we discover in the animal world when we find uh, insects that, that uh, 
uh, sort of hypnotize their prey and then burrow inside and lay their eggs and then the eggs eat them out from the inside while they're still alive. <laughs> There's all sorts of gruesome tales of this sort that we could tell about things that as were animals do to each other. And uh, why would a good God allow such, such, such horrible things to go on? Um, I think that evil is, no, you can't explain it away. And it doesn't have, a, as it were, a dramatic purpose. Well, they Now, before the host, um, you know, pushes back a little bit on him, um, he keeps using this word. I don't know if you picked up on it. He's using this word evil. What does that even mean? I mean, from an atheist perspective, what does what does evil even mean? Like, there's no such thing. There's no such concept. Okay, in in an atheist understanding, there is no, no such thing as evil. You need to have an ultimate good to have an ultimate evil. You need to have a concept of right to have a concept of wrong. Okay. And it, ha and it can't be subjective. It has to be objective. He's using the word evil and he's using it in a very objective way. He's saying that this is something that, that everybody, for some reason, would say actually exists. And it's generally a wrong thing. Okay. It's, it's, it's evil. It's wickedness. Based on what? Based on what? You have, in, in, in an atheistic understanding, an atheistic worldview, you have nothing at all to compare things to make things good or evil. They're just, they're, things just occur. There's no morality behind them. There's no uh, ethic behind it. There's no reason why you should say that, you know, um, it's, you know, if somebody, um, you know, gets hit by a car and dies or they're intentionally run over or something like that and they die, um, that the person who did it was evil or that that was a bad thing. It's not in whose world. OK, I mean, during World War Two, um, you know, the Nazis killed, they murdered millions of people. We would say that that's wrong because we have an objective morality. A subjective morality says, well, I wouldn't kill millions of people, but, you know, who am I to tell them? It's not it's not objectively wrong. It's subjectively wrong because everything that was done in Germany was legal. So if it's all legal, then where, where, where are you getting this morality from? You can't just borrow from um, Judeo-Christian philosophy and moralistic understanding and use those words in the connotation that everybody understands them to be without, uh, you know, adhering to the background that brings those concepts into play in the first place. Or it's contentless. There is nothing wrong in an atheist worldview, okay, with, you know, people being murdered or raped or horrible things, you know, happening. It, 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 it doesn't matter. There is no objective. Now, thank God, atheists are inconsistent in their worldview. And they have, you know, a moral compass. A lot of them do. And it's because of, you know, where, where they were raised, where they were brought up, and the effect of a Judeo-Christian worldview 
on their society and that that molded them and that there are those positives, but they're not keeping those positives. And they're borrowing words like evil. And they're saying, you know, God is brutal compared to what? That's not, that's actually not an atheist argument to say that, well, God is, God is brutal. God's, God's terrible. That, that means that you believe in God. You just don't like the way he does things. That's not atheism. That's, you know, theism and you just don't like it. That's not an argument. That's called an opinion. Let's get back to it here. Is this because it can? The argument that you know is that evil is divided into two parts, the moral evil and the natural evil, according to certain theologians. And the, the moral evil uh, is to enable some kind of free will. There's a lot of different complications, yeah, yeah. but the free will defense yeah. is generally the yeah. one given there. Natural evil is harder for them to deal with, granted, because that doesn't, <laughs> there's no free will involved. Right, so nobody cares yeah. about the human spirit or whatever. Uh, now, this whole free will thing that they keep coming back to, um, some Christians make that argument, well, the, you know, there has to be a choice so that we can have free will. Uh, I'm somebody that I don't believe that we have free will. Uh, I'm somebody that, that believes that we never had free will, like ever. It's not like we had free will and, you know, we lost it or because of sin, you know, we don't, we're, we're a slave to our will. I just don't believe that will, you know, free will ever existed. It's always controlled by the mind. Um, Jonathan Edwards in his work, The Freedom of the Will, goes through this and does a really good job explaining how your will is actually controlled by your mind. You change somebody's mind, you change their will to do something. I mean, that's exactly what it is. Having willpower is setting your mind to something to control the will. The will's not something that's out here that's like, oh, this is some, you know, some thing that we have to hold on to that's a, a, a steady, you know, compass that that's always, that's the beacon, that's the North Star, and we're trying to, you know, get to, no, that's not at all. It, it What it is, is the mind controls the will. The will does not control the mind, which means that if the mind is affected by sin, then therefore, the will is there is no there is no libertarian freedom of the will and so having a will in order to be able to you know love i have heard that before like well you you have to have free will or love isn't a choice and and it's just like well what is what is free will then well it's the ability to choose um you know, one thing or another. Well, if you're if you're using it for the love aspect to choose what? Well, well, either to love God or to walk away from Him. Well, what happens if you walk away from Him? Well, you walk away from Him, eternal punishment. Okay, so you're saying we have free will. We've always had free will, and we have free will in order so that we can uh, choose Christ and we can, uh, you know, follow God and do all those things. Yes, and then we die. Yeah, and then we're in heaven. Yeah, with our free will. Well, well, no, we may not have free will there. Well, yeah, we would have, well, yeah, we would have free will. Oh, so it's totally possible for us to sin in heaven and, and walk away from God and then get sent to hell. There is no eternal security, not even in heaven, not even after the resurrection. Like, that's it. Like, there is no hope for us whatsoever as long as we have free will, this type of libertarian free will. So... This argument of, you know, well, evil exists in order for us to have free will is a crappy Christian argument 
and it's bunk. And I just think that the whole free will argument is uh, is no good in 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 my opinion. Now, I went to a seminary uh, where a lot of people did believe that we have free will. Just about every single person there, you know, except for except for me. I don't I don't know many other people. Am I? my Presbyterian professors. But when you go to an Anglican seminary, uh, you're going to have this. And, and there's a reason, there are soteriological reasons why um, a, a free will is necessary in, in, in their, their model of salvation. It is, it's an imperative. It has to be there. But in this atheist argumentation, um, don't use the free will argument for the need for evil or for the existence of evil because it's a terrible argument. Uh, and there, there are a bunch of arguments that the probabilistic world and, uh, you know, things have to go that way. And, uh... Well, those do strike me as from hunger. <laughs> fairly, desperate, fairly desperate arguments. Thank you for listening to The Theology Pit. Please take a moment to rate our podcast and leave a comment about what you like or what you don't like. Each rating and comment helps others discover this show. Don't forget to visit us at thetheologypit.com to make a donation. While on the website, we would appreciate it if you would share these podcasts with your friends and family on social media. Our Facebook page is also titled The Theology Pit. Stop over and give us a like. If you have any questions or topics you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, please write to samson at thetheologypit.com. That's samson, spelled S-A-M-S-O-N, at thetheologypit.com. Now, here's a preview of next week's show he's switching from Christianity and he's just kind of, well, religion, this God thing, this whatever, there's tons of these. And all of a sudden we get a good one all of a sudden now. And it's like, really, no research. It's silly. Daniel Dennett is a silly atheist early days, and this is a, a recent refinement. And of course, the problem of evil just disappears. This and more on the next Theology Pit. God.